0: Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray, and I am your host. I'm here with our executive producer and co-host, Mark Griffith. I also have special in studio Scott Higgins with Prudent Energy Systems. We're thankful for all of them coming in and and meeting with us today, and we're thankful for you, most importantly, our listener, the person who has spent the time to dial into us. So we hope you have your cup of coffee, because we are uh, going to hit a lot of topics. Um, Our first segment, we have uh, a, a guest who we've had in the past, and we are continuing in our energy series and we have some new information. And the gentleman who I'm speaking about is Dr. Jackson. Dr. Jackson came to us um, from ORNL. He was uh, our very first guest in our energy efficiency series. Dr. Roderick Jackson. He's a researcher um, in ORNL, and he really gave us an incredible um, kind of picture of what it is that he does as it relates to, I guess you would say, thermal envelope breakage, if you will,
1: home sealing. And the total, yeah, the whole envelope.
0: package. So you have the envelope, which the home is is sealed in and or not sealed in, and so that was the very beginning. And so much came from that too, Mark. You know, so many series after that, so many shows.
1: Well, and I told Doctor Jackson that his passion when we did that show uh, was very clear over the airwaves. So uh, mm-hmm. that got me fired up and you fired up yeah. about learning more because we really did not understand the fully.
0: Uh, situation of sealing the house. Absolutely. And so, Dr. Jackson, first of all, you have a colleague with you there as well. If you don't mind, it's Philip Boudreaux um, that's with you there on the line. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: And we want to thank you guys for joining us, first of all.
2: oh, Thank you for having us. We're We're excited. This is something that we enjoy doing, so we're excited to that other people enjoy hearing about it
0: absolutely you know we all want to do something we're passionate about and i think that you found your calling and after you came on we had of course we had several people we had um, Frank Rapley, the general manager in the energy efficiency program. Um, we also had Dr. David Lee um, showing us DOE's role in energy efficiency. Then we started to go out. We talked to Shaw Construction. Uh, we also talked with Harvey Avalada, who does a lot, of, um, a lot of alternative energies. Dr. Simpson, who we mentioned and we've had on the show, he is our energy expert. And then we had Scott Higgins, and that led us in a, another direction as well. But since then, Um, A lot of people may have maybe not forgotten, but maybe need a little refresher on what you do. Can you just give me a quick maybe 30, 45 seconds on what it is that you guys do?
2: So Philip and I, we work in the residential building integration group here at Oak Ridge. And so what we do is we take some of the advanced technologies that are being developed in our building equipment area. That's focusing on HVAC, heating and air. That's focusing on um, appliances such as your refrigerator, your washer, your dryer, et cetera and also advances that are being made in uh, your building envelope. That's your roof, roof, your wall, your foundation, et cetera, everything that surrounds the building. And so we take those and we integrate it into a whole house solution so that we find out, one, what makes the best um, approach as far as energy savings, but then also explore any unintended consequence, consequences that can arise when you um, are, are solely looking at energy savings. So we look at other factors such as durability, and risk for um, for failure. So those are some of the things that we do from a whole house um, residential integration perspective.
0: And how does philip, how do you how do you fit into that program?
2: So I fit you know, I work
3: very closely with Roderick, so I do a lot of the same stuff he does. Um, mm-hmm. I work on specific envelope pieces like like attics and sealed attics and and appliances like uh, heat pump water heaters. Those are two current things that I'm working on now. Um, and how those interact with a family in a home and how we can maybe even improve those and make them more efficient and more durable in the house.
0: So you guys had built these homes over in Oak Ridge. Mm-hmm. And so you actually, it was basically like somebody was living there because the lights came on at a certain time. I think when we were over there looking at it, like the light came on, we we thought it was part of our, Part of our series we do at Halloween, but it was it was actually a part of it. And then we also were fortunate enough to go downstairs and kind of see the the mothership of where this all. remember the central processing right. point in the basement. So how is it that you're able to um, do these clinical studies when no family is living in the home? I think that's very on the forefront in my mind of, of research.
2: So I'll start off, but I think it will be great to get uh, Phillip's perspective yeah. because he was actually very influential in programming and, and, and setting all that up. But from a, a big-picture perspective, it's important to uh, understand we, understand how the building performs in a controlled environment, but we also want it to be exposed to the, to, to the actual um, weather. And mm. so having these buildings that are in the community that are experiencing the same weather, we can do a side-by-side comparison to say, okay, here's apples and apples to make these, to make analysis is very important. And so that's that's the important big picture. But then Philip he was um we've done this in seven homes in the Knoxville area with four in the Oak Ridge area and three in the Campbell Creek, um in the Fairgood area as well. So Philip can get into some of the details of, of actually what went into that process.
0: Yeah, Philip give us some insight.
2: Yeah, so um like
3: Roderick said, it's it's important to 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 have occupancy like a real home would, um because people add heat to the house, they add moisture to the house and so that makes your, your air conditioner work harder and things like that. And so we work with Building America who's done they've done a lot of good work in trying to come up with the average occupancy for a house. So depending on the the number of bedrooms and the amount of people, you know, how many times do they wash clothes during the week, that kind of thing. And so we took that and we programmed all the appliances to come on throughout the week on their own. Um, so that it was like there are real people in the home. We also have heaters around and things that generate moisture just like people would Mm -hmm. throughout the house, and they're on a schedule, like an occupancy schedule of the home. So um, at night, everybody's in the home sleeping, so there's moisture put out like people are sleeping. And so so we do that. And that also allows us to have different homes and to compare them directly because they all have the same occupancy, so we don't have that variable that we have to deal with.
0: I mean, that's really incredible because— I mean, you, that has more to do, in my mind, from a technology standpoint, to writing code, I'm sure, and, and you probably have programmers that have written the code for you. So that goes pretty deep. That, that's, that is like the most complex of systems, I would imagine,
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, in fact, me and another guy wrote the computer code to control these things, and we got to basically hack into the appliances and hotwire them to get them to run like we wanted to. We don't suggest
0: that. We don't suggest that from your normal Sears (laughs) buyer. Oh, there are some guys that would love to
1: do that. Hey, Dr. Jackson, let me ask you. So um, once you all make these determinations and some of these findings, what do you do with the findings, and Mm -hmm. where does it go from there?
2: So, for example in the in the in the zebra Alliance project one of the things that we tested was looking at <clears throat> uh, integrated a ground source integrated heat pump so we didn't want to the, the beta version of those technologies to be able to go out to the market without having of testing ground and so what we did was work with the manufacturer in this case it was climate master to prove that these technologies can work and to just quote unquote just get rid of the bugs get the bugs out of the system and now that product is on the market and so you can go out and buy this type of um, heat pump that not only provides your air conditioning your heating and your air but also provides your water heating so you get savings of over forty percent compared to a traditional system so that's, that's an example incredible. of how using these real-world conditions allow us to to see what happens when we go outside of the laboratory and actually try it in a home and we don't have the added risk of a family being there at the same time. That's that's an example of how we use those buildings.
0: Well, yeah, because part of me was saying, well, you know, the Ray family would be happy to let you, you know, (laughs) do this, but I get what you're saying. I mean, it needs to be in a controlled environment. And the other thing is... I think the
2: part of me that would say that (laughs) would then be the part of me that would regret that when my wife got uncomfortable.
0: Right, right, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Well, so the, the research that is done, I mean, that's phenomenal because... Then how? Where does it go from there? What happens once you have this data? And how can people that are just sitting in their living rooms this morning, how, what can they do to press the the envelope forward? Um, and because I mean, social media is so important, and I know that you guys you guys are not hurting for funding, obviously, but awareness. You know, there's that's why we have you on the show today, and that's why we've done this series because people or what I have found, have been blown away with interest for these type of topics. What do people in the general public, what could they do to to help further this for you? And what do you do with the research? It's kind of a two-part question.
2: So as a, you're right, it's a two-part question, and, and I'll try to answer those in, 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 in synergy. Because one, one of the things that we do with the data is is to be able to say, okay, here's where we are, but here's where we can be. And so where can we where can we go with this, and how far can we take it? For example, with some of the data, some of the things that we did in some of the homes, we looked at advanced water heating projects, um, uh, products such as a heat pump water heater that you can go today and purchase from Lowe's or Home Depot, et cetera, et cetera. And so we took that, and now we want the market to be able to, which these products are about a factor of two more efficient than your traditional standard electric water heater. So we've proven the results. We've proven that these actually work. But then... In addition to that, that's one of the things that Philip is working on now is we can now actually say, well, we've noticed that people are somewhat consistent, right? We take showers at the same time in the morning. We, we have patterns. And so we could take advantage of those patterns, and the water heater could be maybe smart, and, and it could learn when you need hot water and when you don't so that you're not storing
0: adequate yeah, energy in the tank
2: when you don't need to. Now we can even make more advances. So that's, I think that's a good example of how we use the research homes to be able to, one, prove technology so we could get this information into the market so people would go ahead and buy it, but then also look for ways that we can take the next step.
0: Well, what you're really talking about is, a, is basically a smart home. It, it, like a smartphone does a lot of the things that you're speaking to, but a home that sort of gets to know who you are and what your living habits are. I, I don't want anybody to, to learn my my living habits, but, you know, when it is that you have the most stress on the home so that it can adequately kind of reposition itself from a energy standpoint to be able to handle that burden without having to overdo itself and have undue stress on other homes in the area or the grid in general.
2: Exactly, exactly. That is exactly where we're headed because one of the things we hear the terms Big data. We're in the data revolution. We're in the age of information. How does that apply to buildings, right? And yeah. so I think we're the, we're the, we're at that tipping point where we can now start to utilize some of this 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 analytics, this data analytics, to be able to make buildings smart. I don't want to, I don't hate to use the term that buildings were dumb before, but they were They're not as smart. Maybe yeah. that's the right term. Well, I'm and waiting. I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna go out and patent an i-home, It's going to be. Well, you know,
2: some people are saying even going beyond that. What's what's after iHome, right? Because as a national laboratory, we want to be able to say,
0: "No, I'm kidding." Let's
2: let's really take (laughs) things far and where the building just, you know, where it's 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 totally um, energy efficient and not just energy efficient, but then it can operate. For example, when you have these situations like Hurricane Sandy or Katrina or even in Detroit more recently Mm -hmm. where where homes were lost without power, we lose power. That's a big deal. And so how can we make homes more resilient? Well,
0: absolutely. And before, I don't want to end um, without getting to some of your new research and some of the new information that you found. Why don't you do me a favor? And Mark, you had mentioned that he had some new stuff. Why don't you let us in on that?
1: Yeah, Dr. Jackson, is that what you're talking about? Some of I the guess that maybe stuff? that is. Yeah.
0: That is. That's exactly, that's the yeah. lead in because oh, some good. of the things that we're looking
2: at is, is saying, okay, well, we have we know how to make homes more efficient, but now how do we take that? Because homes are connected to the grid and how, we, how do we help? These homes interact or quote unquote transact better with the grid. Now the home is not just a consumer of electricity. Maybe it can be a prosumer when you use thing, when you have like additional PV or etc. at your home. And so now, how can we make the home smart enough to be able to adapt? Because one of the things that we're seeing with the uh, the lowering cost of PV, I mean, when I say PV, I mean solar photovoltaics, electricity from solar from solar energy. Mm-hmm. It's it's they're starting to see some challenges when you in integrate this into the grid. So we're looking at how can we make these buildings where they can adapt or, in, in, or they can include solar electricity in a manner that is not uh, problematic for the grid. And then yeah. go on the next step, how can we make buildings resilient so that when we do see these storms, I think there were over 400,000 people in Detroit this past weekend that were without power mm. for days. How can we um, make buildings where they can still operate? This you is don't the future have that, that challenge anymore.
0: This is absolutely the future. I have no doubt. And you know, the other thing that we need to remind people about and correct me if I'm wrong, and that if you plan on doing some sort of, uh, I guess solar or anything beyond what you're currently doing, the first thing that you need to do is to, Audit your home to determine where the leaks are, because the last thing you want to do is, is there put an iHome unit in there that's going to cost you all this money, and then it's going to it's going to be inefficient or not as efficient because you didn't do the first step. The first step is to audit. The second step is to is to seal. The third step is then to go out and do some of these other things. Am I correct in my steps?
2: That's that's totally correct because one of the things um, that we that you see, it, it, it seems that people are saying now, well, you don't want to do a lot of um, distributed generation, in this case, solar photovoltaics, without added storage. Well, sealing your building is the most fundamental of storage because mm. if you can't store the energy, this in case, in the case of summer cooling or in the case of winter, your heat, if you can't store that energy well in your building because it's so leaky, you can't, you've, you've, you've uh, violated law number one. Right. So the first step is, the, you're correct, audit your building, and make sure that you have a home that's tight enough to where you put energy in, you keep it in, and you don't just put it back out of the home right. to the environment.
0: And that's what Scott is so great with because he came out and did an audit, and you know we're looking at my exchanges, which the calculator wouldn't even add them up. There were so many exchanges. <laughs> but we're going to go in, and we're going to do – and he's very good. He's got the equipment. He has the blower door test. He's got all of that stuff. And so that's why we like to partner with people who can help you. We're not we're not trying to sell you anything. We're just trying to tell you what the steps are. That's all. So that's the new stuff that's coming down the pike. So that's very exciting. And we want to definitely have you on you know, in the near future at your convenience so that you can have a platform to be able to speak to the public. Because I don't know how many opportunities that you have to speak to someone who is listening to News Talk 98.7. But we also podcast this. We blog this information. And we try to get it out. We put it in our newsletter. We do all of these things because we feel, as you do, that it's very important to the future e-commerce if you were the economy and when as it relates to um the environment and all of those other things sounds great well we definitely appreciate you and phil phil did you have anything else to add
3: uh no but uh, well actually i think i'll just second what you guys said you know there are really two steps you know first increase your home's energy efficiency before you add renewables mm-hmm. and that's really the steps um now, can so you come really hack important.
0: my uh, washer and dryer so I don't have to do it? Is that <laughs> yeah. possible? Okay, he probably could. <laughs> yeah, he probably could. Well, we really appreciate Philip and Roderick, uh, Dr. Jackson, and uh, Philip uh, Boudreaux. Thank you so much from ORNL. You guys have been outstanding, and uh, you guys hang around with us. We'll be right back after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. back into the housing hour. This is Kevin Ray, I'm your host. Thank you all for coming back in with us. Um wanted to first of all tell you guys about a company that we both believe uh, very strongly in and that is Admiral Title. Admiral Title is a company that can really just take you to the finish line and get your closing done in a timely manner with no hiccups with no headaches. They're going to take the baton. They're going to take it and they're going to finish the race and they do an outstanding job with that. Their company, Admiral Title, they use the theme of a a ship and and that's really kind of what they think about is that they're going to be your captain. They're going to take you where you need to go, which is the finish line and they're going to give you the keys and they're going to take care of every single piece throughout the transaction. Um, Give them an opportunity. If you're a realtor or a lender and you want to build a relationship with a true trusted advisor, I would recommend Phyllis Burnett over at Admiral Title, 865 531 6060. So we are now a you know, a couple of days past 9-11 here, and this is when this will be recorded, so people are certainly listening to this, so it may be later, but um we just celebrated another annual oh, I'll celebrate, it's not the right word, but commemorated 9-11, and I know everybody, you know, you think about—we've had guests in the past, you know, they, they talk about Pearl Harbor, where they were during Pearl Harbor, and, you know, we've had— you know, that throughout our generation that people always remember where they are in these key events. And one of the biggest ones now that people think about is, hey, where were you on 9-11? What were you doing on 9-11? How did it affect your life? I mean, I've heard from directly from soldiers that I know that that caused them to go back into the Uh, military. Maybe they had retired, or maybe they had taken some time. They're not going to do another tour. Um, Troy Brown is a person I think of with Foothills um, that is, you know, one of those people. Um, But everybody has that story because it was such a monumental moment in the history of the world, not just the country, that it just is something that sticks with you. And, you know, a lot of people also, you know, I know I have a story that I'll share, but also people, It's a fork in the road for a lot of people because they were going down one path and 9 11 happened. And I don't know about you guys, but it really changed my perspective on a lot of different things. It was that moment in history where you just stop and think, what is most important in my life? Is it to sell more vitamins than anybody else? Because at that time, back in that year, I was working at General Nutrition Centers. I was the general manager of the GNC there at Lenox Square Mall. I know that has very little to nothing to do with housing, but I was young and I was just needing a job. And it wasn't about that. That's what it made me realize is that life... Life was not um, about just making money and spending money and all those things. I, it helped me to recenter myself. And I don't know, Mark, what were you doing on nine eleven?
1: Well, I was at the office. I was still branch manager. Yeah. I began in 1994. So in mm-hmm. 2001, when that, that day happened, um, we had a full load. I mean, we were busy. Remember, this is two years before the bubble mm-hmm. uh, hit, uh, yeah. the, the housing bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were busy then and new construction. And I remember Norma Sheldon. Uh, people were in our office by at eight o'clock, ready to take loan application on a new construction loan, and you know, right about that time is when all the stuff started going down, and um, you know, it's just very impacting. Everybody was affected, uh, except Norma. She was in that room with taking a loan application for. I had like three hours, I think it was. So she missed all of it. She came out, she said, What's going on? And really? We had a television in our That's lobby not right in the normal accent you use for normal. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, but we had we had brought in a we went out and got a television and brought it in because we were so upset about what, what was happening. We and it was just hard to get your mind wrapped around the events.
0: Right. Well, and what about you, Scott? Where were you during nine eleven? We have Scott with Prudent Energy Systems still with us from the last segment. I'm just curious. Well, it's, it's, uh, you know, I was actually at my house and I was talking with my sister, you know, when the first plane hit, then we talked or, you know, called each other and we were actually talking when the second plane hit. And, you know, like you were saying, it's just one of those things that, you know, you remember exactly what you were doing, yeah you know, throughout parts of that day and, um, you know, just things that normally, you know, you wouldn't recollect, you know, or just, you
1: know. And, and Kevin, one of the things that I remember the, very vividly mm-hmm. is at a certain point with the first plane mm-hmm. that was an accident. Right. The right. second plane, we were under attack, and right. I remember, I remember my staff. All of us were looking around at each other, realizing that our country was under attack, mm-hmm. and that changed the dynamics in our office at that time. Right. And I know now, you're
0: that, in Oak Ridge too, where there's a O'Kridge. nuclear weapons.
1: That's right. And, it, and that's, that's a, just another story. Right. But, um, I know
0: that you hmm.
1: were on a plane.
0: Right. Yeah. At that moment, Yeah, it was it was a a flight coming from London. Mom and I had been on a two week European vacation. We had had a tremendous time. We had been to several places. We had been to Ireland. We had been to Russia. We had been to Switzerland. We had been several France um, and we ended our journey in um, England. And uh, we were flying back, and it was from Gatwick Airport, and um, it was—the funny—not funny thing, the ironic thing was our flight was number 11. It was really? it was a flight number 11. It was Delta Flight 11, and the flights that hit the World Trade Centers were, I think, American Airlines Flight 11. But anyway, um, you know, it was just any other— flight, we loaded up and, you know, we were leaving and it was going to be a eight hour, uh, flight or so. And I just remember, um, you know, and remembering very clearly it was, had been a great, you know, uh, two weeks and I was, you know, thinking about going back to Atlanta where I was living and going back to the grind. And, you know, I, I kind of, at that point, I had, you know, felt, um, a little homesick, frankly, because I had some time to spend with family and, you know, we had, I'd been in the plane for quite some time, and the pilot, I was listening to my headphones and just kind of, you know, comfortable, waiting for the last part of our journey, and the pilot came on the PA system, and here's a man that had been So confident throughout the day, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for flying Delta Airlines, and we want you to sit back and relax. You know, every time he would come on, he was just very confident. You know, we know you have a choice to fly. You know, and then this time it was different. He came on the PA system, and he had a noticeably shaking, shaken voice, and and he just said, "Ladies and ladies and gentlemen," I, I thought I was a different person. You know, we have a very serious issue right now happening in america and it was after the first plane that hit they did not tell anybody right it wasn't until the second uh, plane hit and he said that there had been two planes that had hit the world trade center buildings in america and he said this exact word america is under attack
1: yeah that's the big thing because at that moment in time the second plane right it it changed it was a game changer and you knew you were under attack and it's I don't know that, you know, other than Hawaii and Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. I don't know that our actual America, you know, the contigu- contiguous states have never mm. been under attack.
0: No, I, you're right. And the only thing that would be close to that, would be I think— true other than nine other than pearl harbor as far as a high sense of alert was probably my um,
1: times and speaking
0: well of. right but i was thinking of the cuban missile crisis when people are on high alert mm-hmm. and and you know everybody is stressed and and you know this was one of those moments so the pilot you know came on and he said that and i mean I am freaking out. He told us that the pilot, that they had had two planes that had been hijacked. I couldn't even think on my, on one hand, I couldn't even think of more than a few that I even remember. And here we have two planes that have been hijacked. So I'm I'm not sure if this is something that's all of the planes that are coming into America are being hijacked, whether this is a mass type of hijacking. I thought that I was going to die. So what?
1: at what point, because I, I know your story, mm-hmm. but one thing I never was clear on, I never asked the question, mm-hmm. uh, at what point, did you know that they were, you know, hijacked, right? You knew that they were flown into buildings, right? Did you know, that that was from, you a know, hijack. he
0: said hijacked oh, okay. he, and I, maybe I miss said that, but he said that they had been hijacked and that they had been flown into wow. two separate buildings. Okay. And so I'm, you know, me and mom, I mean, I'm, you know, 22 year old or however old I was about that. And I had, you know, what I thought was my whole life ahead of me. And, I'm thinking that I may die. I mean, I know that that may not have been the most rational. Were thought. you thinking like someone's on this? Yes, Could be? yes, absolutely. On the plane, I, yeah. I, so I was looking around and look, and you know what? Your mind automatically goes to because of the narrative that had already been built into my brain. Basically, I am ne- immediately said this was Os- Osama bin Laden. You know, I mean, really? at that time he was not all that well known. I mean, certainly people knew him as a, as an enemy. But my mind immediately went there, and so that because I, I watched a lot of news, and so that was kind of the narrative that was out there that that that's who it was going to be. So that's who I thought of. But you know, and another thing, and I'll admit that um, I probably did some you know, some stereotyping, if you will. I was looking around looking, you know, and it it wasn't the right thing to do. I'm just being transparent. I was looking for people that maybe appear to come from that part of the the world and saying, oh, you know, this could be the individual. But, you know, when we get into the last segment, I'll go into once we actually arrived and what all happened. But in between there, you know, we're freaking out. We have no information. But all he tells us is, is that we are, we are um, the United States has closed its borders. That's what he said. You know, that's crazy. And we are being diverted to Canada. So, so the, the, the U S United States of America right. is closed, right? That's exactly what he said. Well, he said closing their borders, they've closed their borders. And so air in borders that, that are there. And you know, the thing is, you know how, when you're doing an international flight or any flight that has a GPS system, there's a picture of the country and you can see kind of where the plane is going and all right. that and you know that was what i was watching and you know when you come through the um into it we were coming into atlanta but but because of how the flight pattern is we were coming in we would have flown pretty much over manhattan based upon the flight track so i'm seeing where we are in relation to new york and i have no idea that you know we're this close i mean we're probably Probably no more than 45 minutes to an hour from getting into U.S. airspace and then maybe another 20 minutes into New York. So we diverted to Canada. And, you know, you talk about a solemn um, hour, I think it was to fly it was crazy
1: so you know he came on your the pilot said that you had two planes but Mm -hmm. there was one that hit the pentagon so that's three and then there was one in pennsylvania right did you did you know after he made that announcement there was multiple
0: other planes yeah it wasn't until we landed because he patched in the bbc and what happened was when we flew in and I'll talk about the thirds in the third segment, I'll talk about my experience because I think it's interesting. Um, but he patched in the BBC, but in the meantime, like I said, getting there to the next airport and flying in, you know, I will talk about when we landed, when we landed, there was, you could have heard a pin drop other than the baby that was screaming. Um, but other than that, there, nobody was talking whatsoever. And so when we landed, what you saw was you saw, military personnel everywhere there were there were military officers with machine guns combat boots the whole nine yards in full military gear like dozens and dozens of them waiting for us to arrive there was also a fl- there was several jets flying around as well because you got to remember all of these planes that were coming in they didn't know how many if there had been four that had been hijacked they weren't sure how many others may have been and we still, to this day, don't know if there were any other planes that it was just a, the hijack did not happen. It didn't go as planned. So they were on high alert on that morning of 9-11. And so, you know... We just sat there, and we'll talk about that. And we're talking about 9-11, and, you know, we would absolutely love to hear your 9-11 story. If you have one that you'd like to share, um, put it on our Facebook page, and, and we'll definitely repost it and tweet it and all that because, you know, around this time of, of year, people start to think about that. And I really use it for me Um, As a starting point I remember changing a lot of things in my life Based upon that experience So you might have a story You might have a story about how you changed some things And we'd certainly love to hear that as well So, guys, we're really having a great time We're talking about 9-11 Even though that's a somber event We all look at it in a positive light now And try to change things But we're going to discuss this more Right after these messages
1: But it was long ago She was a queen my night In the darkness with the radio playing no end And the secrets that we share Mountains that we move
0: The housing hour with Kevin Ray continues helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it Again Kevin
1: Ray.
0: You know, I never knew on 9/11 whether I was going to have kids. Um, I certainly didn't have that in my future horizon. I I just was trying to make my way through life. You know, and the beginning of that song certainly reminds me of uh, my kids, and um, you know the fact that. Uh, I got through that experience. Um, it definitely molded me into the father that I am today, um, good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, there are these life's moments that definitely kind of mold you into the person that you are. And 9/11 was that for a lot of people. And um, you know, Patrick and Olivia, you know, they have no idea. Those are my two kids. They have no idea about 9/11 or what that means. Um, and and so. You know, for them, I will definitely, as they get older, use it as a teaching moment and, you know, so that they can get to know me and and what molded me into my life. And, you know, it's just important, and everybody has a story. Um, And before I go on, actually, I do need to um, tell everybody out there um, because we're, you know, we're in the middle of the final stages of this golf tournament. And, you know, Bobby Denton, our, our host, now our namesake for the tournament, passed away because of cancer. And also, I have to say uh, um, a prayer for my cousins, Alicia. And um, we have two cousins, Jessica and Alicia, whose mother, my aunt, Patty, Patricia um, Hudson, who passed away just um, last week um, of cancer. And, you know, it's just a tragedy. But I did want to just give them a shout out, tell them that I'm thinking about them um, we just had the funeral, and uh, just tell them that I love them and and that that we're here for them if they need us at any time. So a lot of things going on with nine eleven when we think about the the anniversary, and you know, I was talking about when we landed and all of the military presence. Well the guy, the, the pilot came on the PA system and um, you know we were frantically calling our, our, our relatives to let them know that we were okay. You know, my sister Andrea was freaking out. We did get a hold of them. cell phones did work in 2001. Um, and we didn't have all of the things that we have now. Social media wasn't there, but we were able to communicate with my sister and you know she was just freaking out because she didn't know what was happening. And the um, and she was kind of conveying to us what was happening on the news. Plus, we had the BBC being piped into the jet that we were on. And so we were one of 27 jumbo jets that landed in St. John, Newfoundland, which is used to one international flight every other week. <laughs> <laughs> so here we had, because everybody else just went right over to, um, there was a, there's another big town. Um, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it was just across the way. And so they were diverting all these planes and saying, you five jets go here. So we just made it to St. John, St. John's. And um, 27 jumbo jets. Now we were we were a 777. We were a big daddy, um, so we were one of the biggest ones. And the way that they created the 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 planning um, plan was that they were going to start with the biggest planes. I mean, um, they're going to start with the smallest planes first, and then they were going to work their way up to the biggest planes. So the pilot told us, he said, "We're going to start unloading, and I will tell you guys honestly, this is going to take a long time, and we're going to make you as comfortable as we possibly can." And, but this may take several hours. Well, it took 19 hours. Mm -hmm. We sat on the plane for 19 hours waiting to be deplaned because they had, they said it was going to take about an hour of plane and they were not quite right, but they were close. And, you know, what do you do for 19 hours? I mean, it was miserable to say the least. And, you know, it was, there was a lot of people on that plane and not everybody, had it the same as everybody else. They had people in first class and so forth and, you know, but it was very, very difficult. And I, w- I felt like I had been skinned alive and thrown in the ocean is how I felt because, you know, I am a young person. I, I don't know what's happening outside of the plane. I like to be in control, you know, and I don't have any control. And the pilot was so gracious because um, there was some people who smoked on the plane. And so it, this is kind of a funny off story. He opened, he let them open the back of the plane they opened the back of the plane and was able to smoke out of the plane. I would die to have a picture seeing, Hmm. um, at that time, this has been a long time ago, my mom was a smoker, so seeing her on the back of the plane. (laughs) So finally, after 19 hours, we finally were able to get off of the plane. And, you know, it was um, very surreal because uh, we had to go through, you know, this basically this makeshift you know, army hut where they had made, where they were, you know, patting people down, searching all their belongings. We couldn't take anything off the plane other than our carry on. That was all we could take. So all of our supplies, I mean, I had nothing. Um, And so once we got through that, they took us, they shipped us over to the hockey rink, which was now um, acting as central transport place. So we got to this hockey rink and there it was up on the jumbotrons was the planes, the first time that we had seen it. And if you know, it was a 767, both of them were, and ours was a 777, but it it looked eerily like our plane. Mm -hmm. And that was a real eye opener. When I saw that, I I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, I am just, I am just in such misery. I'm not knowing what's happening and so forth.
1: I I think one of the interesting things, what you just mentioned, uh, going through the security, the Mm -hmm. tent, as you came off the plane, which was the beginning of the crackdown of our, you know, security in airports. Right. I mean, that's, that started right there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, that's the one thing it never crossed my mind really at that moment in time when, you know, we were going through all this of how it was going to change airport security. Right. It just never did until everything started, you know, tightening up. Then all of a sudden it became mm. miserable just to go to the airport. Right. You have to go four hours before the right. flight, you know, it's something ridiculous. Right. But uh, we have to do these things, but you, mm. That was the first step. That was Mm -hmm. the first thing. Yeah.
0: You getting off the plane was the, the beginning. Yeah. And it was, it was the beginning. And so what ended up happening was after we left that central transport, they had all of the planes in different segments of the stadium. So you had Delta flight 11 over here. You had American airlines, flight 50, whatever. And it was filled with people. I'm talking, I mean, it wasn't a huge stadium, but it was it twelve fifteen thousand 15000 pl- probably, and so we were all in there, and we happened to get transported, and hours upon hours have went by, you know, 19 hours on the plane. Then it took another four or five hours just to get us there. We're 24 hours in the same clothes, no sleep, not knowing what, what the future holds. And so we ended up getting uh, taken to Holy Heart Catholic High School there in downtown, beautiful downtown St. John's, Newfoundland. Now, St. John's, Newfoundland is the easternmost part of North America, and so we got to experience that. And we got taken to Holy Heart Catholic High School. I I just have to tell you guys, it was amazing, these people. The, the, The selflessness and the love that these people showed, these strangers, was something out of a movie. I mean, they opened their homes, their arms, their pocketbooks. I mean, they literally gave us money to go to walmart food they brought us into their homes to take showers they brought their um their very talented um group of singers from different schools and and they sang for us they they had productions for us they did plays for us you know i have pictures which i'll try to get to you before yeah. um so the day is over so you can put them up but um you know, we were sleeping in the gym um, the second and third day. The very first day, we were um, we were put in the science department, which I had to leave because there was so many people snoring, I could not sleep. But there was like twelve of us in this one little lab, this little area, and this is where we were designated. We had cots and sleeping bags and stuff like that. And then in the theater of the school, they had they were piping in CNN inside the theater, so I would go there and watch the news. And it was just, it was very emotional. It was very emotional because most people, not that it's that big a deal, but they were able to experience this in the comfort of their home and watch it on their TV and let things unfold while they were with loved ones. And thankfully, I had my mom there. But at the same time, you know, had no clothes and, and no shower and all those things added up over the. Over it,
1: time. it had to be uh, very difficult because it, just for us mm-hmm. uh, was. Was tough enough mm-hmm. i mean my kids were in school it, it, kevin back in the united states the fear right. of of just a, an attack at the mall was so great i mm-hmm. mean we thought every corner around it. i mean i did i was just paranoid delusional or something mm-hmm. i just thought around every corner this is going to happen here absolutely every plane in the sky you looked at it i mean it was just crazy yeah but in oak ridge i mean you know just I right like- afterwards Um, those F-17s were buzzing over where the plants were. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, you go outside, you didn't, the sky was quiet, Mm -hmm. but the planes, those
0: F-17s were just. Yeah, well, they had to protect. And and that's where I think a lot of this that we're looking at now and how it is that our emergency systems work, all were tested pretty heavily on 9-11. And that was one of the impacts that it made on our, kind of our security um, kind of piece of this, like you mentioned, the airport. But another thing that happened, you know, randomly for the two, we were there for three nights total, um, so we are there for four total days, but there was, like, randomly in the middle of the night, the somebody would come in with guns and flashlights and all the nine yards, and they would get somebody. And so we never knew, we never heard what those people did, why they came in such a huff and came and got these people. I and mean, we'd never know. But I'm sure it had something to do. They were examining the manifest, of, you know, of all the planes. And, you know, there's just a lot of bad people out there. They may not have been associated with a terrorist attack, but they might have been people of interest. But they would come and get people, and they would find them, and they would get them and take them out. It was it was pretty eerie that, when that would happen. That's very eerie. Yeah, very eerie. So, um, So finally— we were told, you know, they had signs and all this stuff saying when people would be leaving and all of this. And it got delayed a couple of times. Finally, we get to leave. And in the meantime, you know, a lot of fond memories. And uh, coincidentally, um, the gentleman who made Titanic, what was that guy's name? Cameron, I whatever his name is. Um, he's the gentleman who made Titanic. And he was there shooting a documentary Of the Titanic, because when they took the cameras down to the Titanic, so his ship was actually in port. So if you want to Google that, you can find out more about that. But um, so we got to take off and it was a very, very happy experience. When we took off um, from this airport, there was like a standing, not standing ovation, but there was cheers. It was James Cameron, the guy who made Titanic. There was cheers, almost like we had just scored the last touchdown against Florida or something. (laughs) And it was just so so much happiness, but at the same time, everybody was still a little fearful about being in the air. And then when we arrived back in Atlanta, we were the very first international flight to arrive back to Hartsfield. So it was an emotional experience when we landed. And we when we,
1: was that? When when did the plane start to fly again?
0: It was it was the third day. So we made it back. Well, we stayed three nights. So it was a total of four days. So if you count them up, so it was like four days when they opened up the airspace back. Um, but basic, basically, when we arrived, Delta had um, orchestrated a welcoming committee or something because they had hundreds of people lining our route back. Not the, not, not the landing, but when we taxied back. They had it lined with people with signs, God bless America. we love the USA, people you know waving us and cheering us on. When we came off the plane, you know it was like a beetle or something. you know was, people were so excited to see us. and that really was impactful for me because you know I got to see another another part of people that you don't see every day. that caring and loving and that real sincere you know hey, we're in this together type of thing. And, you know, we've kind of left that again, but, um, that was, that was the the most impactful four days for me in my entire life. And it also was for a lot of other people as well.
1: Your mother uh, being, you know, a little bit older Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot more wiser,
0: Mm -hmm. um, what was she going through? Did
1: she ever communicate her feelings?
0: I could tell she was definitely stressed and she was concerned about our safety and, but she kept her head up and was a great passenger and now you know she's a friend and great passenger in life with me as well and so that's really the message from the housing hour to everyone out there is that you know what we hope that at some point that we can be a passenger in life with you and guess what we're going to give you the window seat because we're here to try to open up a window for you to learn about some of the things that are happening in our community so we want to thank you for joining us and god bless you and god bless the usa